With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we are back on the Anonymous Eagle podcast after a little bit of time away. I am Patrick Leary. I'm joined as always by Sam Newberry. Um, We're just going to dive right into it today. Um, Marquette, uh, last night... Um, Tuesday night, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, uh, dropped their first home game ever in Pfizer Forum, 70-69. Uh, to 69. Uh, Unfortunate that the race of 69 did not, race to 69 did not hold up. Thanks, thanks a lot, Shamori Pons. Um, but a one-point loss uh, was, uh, I guess, disappointing to say the least. I think both of us have agreed that the loss doesn't say a whole lot about Marquette overall, um, and that it was partially um, a bad night, especially in the first half. And also, um, St. John's is a bad matchup uh, to Marquette. I mean, Sam, I guess I'll let you jump in before I make the declarative statement that we both think that. Yeah, I mean, I, for those people who know me as Captain Panic Button, um, the fact that I'm not you know, freaking out about this right now. Um, it should be telling. Um, yeah, it just comes down to the fact that St. John's has just as athletic, if not more athletic guys at every position and they can switch on and off. Like Marvin Clark can guard our guards sometimes. That's nuts. Justin Simon was a defensive stopper on Marcus Howard. Mustafa Heron was the one that they switched. Like when Simon wasn't on the floor, Mustafa Heron, all six, five, one of Auburn's best defenders last year was the guy they switched on to Marcus. St. John's is just a hellacious matchup for this, or this St. John's team at least is just a hellacious matchup for this Marquette team. And I mean, having watched us start slow for the most part in the last seven games we've played, what something like that. Yeah. Besides maybe the the Hinkle game, you know, like yeah. And we'll get to that at some point. But we were just due to lose one of these games. And honestly, I'd rather get the, the yips and the, the bad starts and stuff out of the way now versus later. And I mean, yeah. like, worst case scenario is that we lost to St. John's twice. Hopefully that gets the bad games out now instead of losing to DePaul later in the year. We didn't lose to Xavier twice. We didn't lose to Georgetown. Like... There are so many worse losses than the one we suffered last night. Absolutely, And, I mean, it just happens, man. Games like that yeah. are, are going to happen. Well, also, here's what I would say is the first half, um, maybe with the exception of the Providence game, um, the first half was the worst first half. Like, it was not, like, they've been starting slow lately and they've been behind at halftime, but the first half... Um, uh, on Tuesday was, you know, legitimately awful because it was a combination of horrible field goal shooting and um, really, like, questionable at times defense, um, which this team has struggled with one or the other on the road um, early in conference season. They struggled a lot and also non-conference. They struggled a lot with 
you know, uh, defensive effective field goal percentage. Um, and um, in a lot of the home games that they've started slow and they've just, you know, missed a lot of shots to start. It was kind of an unfortunate marriage of both in that first half. Um, and to only be down 10 um, was somewhat of a victory, I suppose. Not really, but somewhat of a um, fortunate circumstance. Um, and then they obviously came out again and in the second half and, you know, dug themselves a bigger hole. Um, but it's wild that even with all that went wrong for them, they still only lost that game by one, On had a, the lead yeah. with, like, 20 seconds left, and, yeah. Yeah, they, they lost the game after all the bad, all the negative you know, we watched them fold over and die by 20 at St. John's. And after everything, it was a broken offensive play and a full-court heave that was like 8 inches to the right. Yeah. 12 inches to the right. Right, exactly. Like, they were a decent... That was the separator. They were Marcus having being confident and making a good shot at the end of the, the, end of the or game. Ta- away. Or jumping into the contest. Or passing yeah. to Sam. Yeah. Um, which is... they, they, they were one possession away, no matter how you look at it. Since I said it, since I said it I'll talk about it right now. Um... The end of game thing. Um, I trust this team a lot more um, than teams in recent years um, to succeed at end of games um, when they need a bucket desperately, just because of their versatility. Um, Marcus Howard uh, got a horrible look. Um, well, he was off balance. He got a look, I suppose, but it was way off balance, and he obviously airballed it. Um, but uh, I was. My inclination is a lot of times out of timeouts to start games, to start halves. They draw plays for Sam. Um, They love to slam Sam into a post-up pretty quickly. Um, And I was a little surprised that they didn't uh, more aggressively try to get him the ball there, especially down by one. Um, And what resulted was um, Marcus sort of trying to have to beat... um, was it Justin Simon in front of him on the last possession? Simon and Heron. Yeah, it was... Our, Heron was the one that guarded the eventual off-balance three shot. Yeah, okay. So it was him trying to, like, having to try to break down a guy that he had struggled with all game. So ultimately, I thought that the last play was not um, very effective. Well, um, I mean, it just looked like it broke. Like, yeah. It looked like something is, went wrong, and he tried to improvise right then and there, and it just didn't work. You're going to have maybe two or three more games where you're going to need a, a possession like that to work out out of a timeout. Um, and it was not encouraging, but I also really didn't... Um, it was not a good scoring game for Marcus Howard. Um, he made two or three impressive three-point shots, and that's about it for me as far as what I was... Um, he only turned the ball over three times, which is actually pretty okay for him, but... Um, especially given you know how many good things he ends up doing, but he had no feel on the floater. Um, he went to it too much. I mean, one of nine says all you need to say. And then, I mean, again, it's if you look at some of the negatives in the box score, and then you look and see that they only lost the game by one, it gives you some confidence that you know maybe this was just a bad matchup. Um, Shmori Pons is, you know. A ridiculous player. I mean, he had 28 points. He did it pretty darn efficiently. 9 of 19. He didn't have a great three-point shooting game, but he drew a bunch of fouls. 9 he, of 9 from the free throw yeah. line. I mean, I mean, and his free throw. Mark Sauer's got a great free throw. Um, and, but Shamori Pons is like, 
I mean, there was there was absolutely no doubt that any of those were going in. Now he's only shooting eighty three percent for the season, so he's not as good of a free throw shooter as Marcus Howard is. But I mean, when he stepped to the line after that that sort of deflating three point foul um, or three point shooting foul he had um, that Sakar uh, committed. Um, he didn't hit the rim, and it was like, oh, well, this is just automatic. This guy's confident. And St. John's was confident, and I think that that's another thing that factored into last night is that St. John's is confident against Marquette. Yeah. Because I think Marquette is not confident. I don't think you see Marcus Howard playing confidently against Justin Simon and Mustafa Heron. No. Um, Sam Hauser was having a tough shooting game, and you could see him uh, get very frustrated at times. Joey Hauser um, got sat on the bench because he couldn't defend. I mean, I okay, and I didn't, I didn't see that. That was that your interpretation of why Joey didn't play. I was seeing him get absolutely roasted in the post too many times, and I think that's why he ended up going on the bench because he wasn't able to handle the switchable lineup. Is yeah, that I, your I, thought? I, that that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Uh, I mean, Brendan Bailey was just better than him when it came to matching up with who. So we're looking at really like. Well, it was almost more Chartoony, though, was the preferred... Well, because you're looking at Shamori Pons and Justin Simon and Mustafa Heron all playing. So, Justin Simon and Shamori Pons dropped 40 minutes each. Like, yeah. there's no way... I love the... I there's love no the, way that Joey Hauser's going to defend yeah. one of those two with also Mustafa Heron, LJ Figueroa, Marvin Clark, CD Keita, and Greg Williams all running around, too. Yeah. There's no way... That was probably the biggest mismatch, is that you had somebody like Joey... Like, Sam had to guard Mustafa Heron. Or, Joey had to guard LJ Figueroa. Like, that's just... Those are just bad matchups. St. St. John's is core. Yeah. When they don't have CDK to end. CDK to played a lot, and I think he probably played more than he would have had Clark and Figueroa not had fouls pretty regularly in that game. Uh, but... When C.D. Cato was on the bench, which is how he starts, St. John's plays five guys, um, four of whom are between 6'5 and 6'7, and can pretty All much... All five of whom are between 6'5 and 6'7. Well, Shamori's 6'1. Oh, okay, so you said... I said the four... Four, oh, of... four, four yeah. Of, oh yeah, I said, okay, my yeah. bad. Shamori's 6'1, I... and then the, the, re- the other four that aren't Shamori are just like these switchable guys that can... All of them can make a three... All of them can defend like three positions, so it's like it's it's a really difficult. You know, the the key is to like make St. John's like tap into their bench somehow, basically. And they almost got there with fouls. They yeah. just they just missed really starting to get them in foul trouble. They would have won that game in overtime just yeah. based on how St. John's is, unless Shamori had just gone into God mode. Um, well, I just remember. Sorry to interject. No, go ahead. Quick, but like a big thing too is that. Shamori Pons is going to be Shamori Pons. You can't let the rest of St. John's beat you. Justin Simon was 8 of 11 from the field, and that didn't include a three-point shot. He's not a good three-point shooter and still got everything he wanted and got it to fall from two. Like, you have to just make Shamori Pons win it by himself, and letting Justin Simon drop 19 points, like I said, only three missed shots, made all three of his free throws, that's, that's not going to do it. You know, you need... You need to figure out a way to defend that. And that's just that just comes from the lineup where, you know, we have Sakar Anum on Justin Simon, which means that Sam Hauser has to cover Mustafa Heron. Mustafa Heron drops three of five from three. Yeah. You know, we have Joey Hauser on LJ Figueroa, who is just faster and more athletic 
you know, basically a, a, a wing player. Joey's not a wing player. He, he's a stretch. He's more of a stretch four than Sam is. Yeah. And it's just, this is the nightmare matchup for us. And it is our boogeyman team. And it just showed. It happens. Like, I'm, I've already forgotten about it. Yeah. It, it is what it is. I guess the frustrating part is that even though that is the case and they played badly, they had the lead with 20 seconds left. Yeah. So that's... that's on, a, on a no, 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 holy crap, it went in three-pointer by Sakar, but yeah. yes. That was... That was insane. The, 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 the thought to shoot that as him when he's a... Although improved, improved, and that is his best spot to shoot from on as far as three-pointers goes, one of the corners. Um, it was a shocking shot. Yeah. Because they knew, you know, you knew that they needed a bucket on that possession. And for him to chuck that, um, having only attempted one three the entire game to that point, um, was crazy. And I'm happy it went in. Um, I was less happy um, with how he handled Shamori Pons. Now, granted, Shamori Pons is probably the most difficult defensive assignment that Marquette um, will face this year unless they draw some I was, crazy the t- only other one that I can think of off the top of my head was uh Doke from Kansas yeah that's different sure. that's different and then, yeah but like, it's a different kind of defensive well, no, 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 matchup I would say, obviously yeah and then I'd argue that probably Romeo Langford when we played Indiana yeah uh Romeo Langford's that, not as good like, of a shooter though that, that's just an argument yeah not, no not, it's Shamori Pons unless they end up drawing like a one seed in the tournament at one point and playing like Zion Williamson or some shit. Yeah. Um, but uh, Shimori is a defensive nightmare. Um, at the uh, same time, I was a bit disappointed um, with some of Sakar's possessions on him. Um, I assume that there wasn't a strict no switching policy until like the last two and a half minutes, which was frustrating. And it's probably a Wojo thing because he was getting passed off onto Marcus Howard rather frequently. And And it wasn't good. And you know what? Like Marcus gave it his all. Um, but Marcus just isn't, um, he isn't equipped physically to defend a player like Shamori Pons just because he's small and doesn't have much of a wingspan. Scar Anim is a much better matchup uh, for Mar- Marquette um, on Pons, and I thought that there was too much switching going on, and the one time you pretty clearly saw the negative of it was when Pons made the three over Howard to push it to six um, late in the game, because that um, was a really costly bucket, and it was basically like Howard had... Howard did everything to stay in front of him, was giving him decent distance, but just didn't have the wingspan to contest a shot that Pons was capable of making and had enough space by virtue of Howard being the defender. Um, so that was costly. Um, and I thought that, you know, some of the instances like when Pons got fouled, I mentioned this already, when, when Anum fouled Pons shooting a three um, at a key juncture, um, when out of a timeout, when they cut the lead to one after Sam Hauser's uh, three-pointer, somehow Sam Hauser ended up on him and fouled him. 
uh, and he made the shot, and that was a huge momentum hit because that could have been Marquette could have taken the lead at that point, and it would have been a lot easier. There were just a lot of mistakes I felt um, kind of throughout the game, and um, I thought that I liked what Brendan Bailey did on um, Pons better than Anim. Obviously, Bailey only had 11 minutes on the court, and not all of that was on Pons. Um, but um, and but I also understand that to put Bailey in at that stage of the game would not have would not have been a like sound like morale managing decision just been like all right Sakar you're out Bailey get a stop like that that's that's probably the coaching mindset of Steve Ojahowski it doesn't really make sense to yank your experienced veteran who's been in college for four years in favor of um you know your freshman who yeah he might be 20 but it's his first year in the conference so I get why it didn't happen, um, and also, you know, the consideration that Sakar is a more seasoned offensive player than Bailey, um, but I wish, I guess I wish, I thought Bailey did better. Um, Sakar, that was a very interesting game for Sakar, just because he, um, you know, he had ups and downs guarding pawns, he had ups and downs on offense as well, missed all his free throws, made the big three, missed that wide open layup. It was sort of all over the place for him. Yeah, yeah he had a he had a roller coaster of a game. Um, I mean, you know, you, you, we can question why wasn't Bailey out on Pons when I, you know, he obviously was, in my opinion, having the slightly better game, especially in the second half mm-hmm. on Pons. Nobody could really guard Pons in the first half, but yeah. sometimes that just happens. Um, you know, I guess. Things we could ask Ed Morrow: Why was he sort of dropped on the bench um, when he seemed like he would be a slightly better matchup with any sort of big guy that St. John's did really play with? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of questions. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, Sam Hauser was three of twelve from three. Theo John missed four free throws. Sakar missed three free throws. Even Joey Hauser missed a free throw and didn't. He made what? It, how did what? Yeah, so Joey Hauser missed all three of the shots he took from the field, and his only points came from four of the five free throws yeah. he shot. I mean, like we j- nothing was falling. We shot eight of well, twenty. We yeah, just we shot eight of twenty six from three. Our team doesn't shoot seventeen of twenty five from the free throw line, but we did last game last night. It just I don't know. I, I there there are questions. Um, I think they'll be answered against Nova. Um, on the Joey Hauser situation, I think the offense notably struggled, um, without Joey's, um, uh, floor spreading, floor stretching ability. Um, I think, um, the trade-off was the defense kind of really picked it up, um, about in sort of the middle section of the second half, the defense really trended upward and got them back in a game that they were losing by 15 with 15 to go. Um, so I don't know if that was sort of the best case scenario there that they, um, sort of went to, um, so for their crunch time lineup they were playing was Howard, Hauser, Anim, John, Chartuni. Um, Chartuni, I want to get into Chartuni a little bit because I have a decent segue for that, uh, to talk a little bit about Butler as well. Um, but I would just say that 
Marquette has really succeeded in closing out games because their free throw shooting is so good with their typical uh, crunch time five because you have three 80% free throw shooters. One of the guys that is in the game is not going to touch the ball a lot in um, opponent fouling situations, Theo John. And Sakar Anim is like a 60% free throw shooter, so you can kind of get away with him. Wow, he's down to 54. Um, but... Uh, I think when you have Chartouni in there instead of Hauser, that's not as good of an offensive lineup because Sakar is nominally your third best shooter instead of your fourth yeah. um, from as far as jump shooting goes. Well, he's, he's just your third. He's, he's not your third best scorer instead right. of your fourth. So you we, you weaken yourself offensively. Um, in turn, you in theory pick up a little bit on the defensive end, I guess. Um, but it against was, a team like Saint John's, against Saint, you do. Yeah, yeah, you do right. And I, and I guess that would be probably one of the only scenarios where you would play that lineup over Joey, uh, with Chartuni over Joey. Um, but uh, it definitely changed the complexion of it, and I think you saw a lot of crunch time free throws being shot by Theo and Sakar. Um, now, I am not going to be one to criticize Theo John's uh, free throw shooting. Um, I think it's come a long way um, in, like, two months, let alone his entire career. Um, I, uh, you know, to start the season, he was, he couldn't figure anything out. And I think he could very clearly, um, put some time in, uh, and has sort of adjusted the shot a bit. Um, and you know, six of 10 from a, a non-shooting big man, um, who's, you know, he's a pure post. It, better than, uh, better than Ethan Happ. <laughs> better than Ethan Happ and generally acceptable what's not acceptable is a shooting guard um who's over three from the free throw line like sakari Anim. you need that to be better sakari Anim, it, it's not a matter of him being a non-shooting player either because he's as pain touches has been tracking his uh, three-point shooting has really ticked up in big east play um now for the season he's yeah, I mean, it's ticked up in general. For the season, he's up to 44%. Oh, no, excuse me, that's wrong. I knew that was wrong. Uh, he's up to 33%, which, you know, that is about, um, I would say, minimum acceptable from a guy that you have shooting two or three times a game from deep. 33% is like, okay, he'll make one a game, and um, it'll work out for you, and he's got a chance to do a little bit better. And he's... He's improved in that in that regard a lot, especially in the conference. Um, so it's not that he's unable to shoot jumpers. Um, he's got to find a way to be a better uh, free throw shooter because, again, like any of the mistakes that they made last night get reversed and they win the game. Yeah. So. It is what it is. It's a tough, it was a tough matchup. It's a loss that you can afford um, that you probably will look back on with regret. Um, but. It is what it is. Um, I'll transition to Chartuni um, to let us talk about Butler. Um, Chartuni is playing with a lot more confidence. It's been really good to see. Uh, last night may have been his best game um, at Marquette. Um, debatable. The, the Presbyterian game, he had 16 points. So. It, it, was, it, it was the best game he played against good competition. Yeah. So it was a, a five assist, zero turnover game in 19 minutes from Chartier. One of one from the field, too. Yes. Uh, one of two, because he missed a three. Oh, right. Um, but it was a I am a senior playing college basketball game.
for Joseph Sartuni. And it was like, this is what we've been looking for all season from him. Um, and I was very impressed. He was an extremely functional rotation piece. Um, and again, with how he's played this season, you can't say enough about the um, five assists, zero turnovers. Because again, his, his uh, turnover rate for the season is still 33%. So for him to have that kind of quality, um, mistake-free game is huge. Um, And I thought he was a very functional uh, part of the team. Um, And I started to notice that at Butler, um, and I think it was pointed out on Twitter, um, uh, that that pull-up jumper that he hit at Butler, his only shot he took in that entire game was a confident-looking shot. a shot that you know, just a few games earlier, he was you know he chucked that air ball over the over the rim from the corner and like sat down and you know was visibly visibly frustrated, and so the confidence in that shot at and that was right in the middle of a run as well, um, really good to see, um, and uh, trending in the right direction for Chartouni, which is huge because that ball handling. Um, and uh, defensive credibility he brings and, you know, veteran experience at the very least um, is going to be a useful piece in um, tight, close, important games as this season progresses. So been very impressed with Chartuni. Um, anything else you want to say about St. John's? I'm of the mindset that it's okay to just sort of, all right, whatever, this is a bad matchup. They got swept. They might have to play him again in MSG, but let's just... Yeah, just- Move on. We know that it, like, we know now that it's not just, like, we had the worst game of the season against them at their home court or whatever. Like, we know how good they are, but if anything, last night's game can prove to us that they're not as scary as we think they are. Yeah. Like, we know how to beat them. It just comes down to executing that. And I, I, I'm not worried about St. John's at MSG until we get there. Yeah, I'd be. So, I would be curious what that last night's game would have looked like on a neutral court. Yeah, um, because I think that there's a very decent chance that because the forty nine thirty four inflection point was very similar to the game at, at uh, Carnesecca. I wonder if if that's on a neutral court that that spirals and this yeah. game isn't even close. That is, yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we said what it is: bad matchup, all kinds of bad matchup. Yeah, whatever. Just, I mean. Usually you say burn the tape and move on during a yeah. bad win, but this is this is a bad not a bad loss, but this is a loss where you just go, you know what, man, we played twenty five to thirty minutes of just really bad basketball and only lost by one. So you just you you, you don't even reflect on it. You, you take the loss, like you you don't have the jitters of will this be our first loss at home anymore? You know you don't have the jitters of you know oh we have to get them back for that type of stuff like. Just let it go. Much bigger game on Saturday. Sure. So, and that's a good segue because I, um, not to plug my own Twitter account, but I tweeted uh, this afternoon that my thoughts from last night, um, or after last night, were that St. John's is a horrible matchup, so losing by one isn't some sort of damning result that speaks to MU's overall quality. No. But also that Villanova may also be a horrible matchup. It's entirely possible. Um, um, and let me just say the reason that I say that before before um, we get any further. Um, Villanova um, is, in most respects, um, one of they're one of the most prolific three pointing 
shooting teams in the country. Now, they don't, as a team, shoot an elite percentage, but what they do is rely on it. They shoot more threes. Um, I heard this said on a podcast. It was either um, uh, CBS's or NBC's college basketball podcast that the only team that shoots more three-pointers as a percentage of their total shots than Villanova is the gimmicky Savannah State offense, yeah. um, which if you don't know about the gimmicky Savannah State offense, I won't you know get into it, but look it up. It's like crazy fast and just all shooting. It's, it's Grinnell. Yeah, it's Grinnell. That's a great point. No, but if you get the Grinnell reference there, you are a very good college basketball yeah. fan because I got it, like it this. but it was a deep reference. Vill- Vill- <laughs> Villanova shoots 53% of Villanova's shot attempts yeah. are three-pointers. Correct. Over half of their shots come from behind the line. Which, if, I mean, that might not, like, on your brain seem ridiculous, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, like, like that is crazy slant. I want to. I want to look this up. So like, they're going to be probably more similar to us than they are to St. John's. Um, yeah. But like, I want to go back to like. So thinking back to like the Marquette team that made the tournament to, in 2017. Um, that Marquette team with Andrew Rousey, with, um, Kate and Reinhardt, with Marcus Howard, um. That Marquette team had 41.5% of its field goals be three-point attempts. <laughs> like, like 2018. That's, that's actually ridiculous. Last year's Marquette team, their 44.4% of their field goal attempts were three-point attempts. So This, this is, Villanova yeah. team's shooting 53% of their field goals yeah. from beyond the arc. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. Um, and so I guess what worries me is if... Part of the roadmap, so to speak, to beating Marquette is sort of this five-man switchable lineup that can, when you get five guys on the court, that can pretty much do absolutely almost everything that you want them to. Can Villanova roll out a lineup of, hypothetically, um, Colin Gillespie, Phil Booth, Joe Cremo, Eric Paschal, and Sadiq Bey, and have everyone on that in that lineup shooting at least 36% from beyond the arc um, and make it so that Marquette has a devil of a time trying to figure out how um, to guard them. Now, I don't think that's a very good defensive lineup. No, and I mean, Nova's not an elite defense. So the number no. nine offense in the country, according to Ken Palm. The number 87 defense. Yeah. Like Marquette's defense is markedly better than yeah. Nova's. And I just remember thinking about it, like... That that lineup has the ability to tear us to shreds on offense. Like, it really does. Although, I'm not really... I know Cremo's shooting at 38.2%, but I would... Cremo's, have, Cremo's been struggling. Cremo's streaky. Yeah. I You just need him to not have a good day against you. Um, I mean, Phil Booth is a top five player in the Big East yeah. for Ken Palm. Question, yeah, especially like, when you factor in his defense. Yeah, especially when you factor in his defense. He's a 6'3 shooting guard. I mean, Colin Gillespie's... You know, for all the bad jokes you can make about it, people How are trying. He to, is Archie Diakono? You know, yeah, reincarnated. He kind of wishes he was Archie Diakono. Yeah, but he's been playing better lately, but he's not as so, good as like, Archie Diakono. I, I harped on this the last time we played St. John's away. Like the way we're, we should have played against St. John's was to like use like yes, they have athletic freaks, and yes, they have athletic matchups on offense. 
we needed to use Sam and Joey more for turnaround jumpers and post looks. Post ups, yeah. Yeah, like that. That that's how I think we beat St. John's. I think that's how we beat Villanova. I I, I would argue that Nova's more similar to us than they are to St. John's. Um, you know, they're, they're they're somewhere in between the two teams. Um, but I like you need to like Pascal's a good defender. Yes, but he's going to have to go against one of the Housers because Demir Cosby Roundtree, their other starter, is going to have to guard Theo. Because um, Pascal's not a center. He, he he plays a lot of the small ball five when Nova goes small, and they will, but he will not be able to guard Theo consistently. Yeah. Um, so we need to utilize uh, stuff in the lane, and we need to utilize the two Housers in post-up situations, in my opinion. So... I think it's going to be very important for Marquette to have a good shooting game um, against Villanova. That sounds like very surface level. Yeah, like duh, but... But I don't know. Um, one of my concerns is that, as we said, um, Villanova is a team that shoots a ton of three-pointers. Um, and Marquette excels significantly uh, better defending two-pointers than they do three-pointers. Yes. Um, they're good at both. Um, but they're 22nd nationally in two-point defense and 66th nationally in three-point defense. And when you have a guy like Theo John playing 25 to 30 minutes a game, you understand why, because it's a very uh, difficult... Getting to the rim and scoring effectively with a Theo John lurking there is not good. It's not, it's not easy. Um, and if you look at um, Villanova's last um, five games... The Georgetown one is actually sort of an outlier almost because that game they scored 77 points in 70 possessions, which is not, that's not that great. Um, the four games before, they scored 86 and 63, 80 and 67, 80 and 61, and 85 and 65. So that's gross. I mean, that's really, really good offense. Yeah. And so I'm not sure Marquette is going to be able to do a ton um, to limit that. Um now Providence was one was the one team in the Big East um, this year that held um, Villanova under seventy three. Yeah, well, under their possession number. Yeah. Um, yeah, scoring wise, generally, but also um, sixty five and sixty six because, and also I didn't even include the Creighton game, which was ninety and seventy, <laughs> which yeah. is again gross. Um, so. Providence um, is the only team that's really, really managed Villanova's uh, scoring effectively. Um, now, I'm not saying that there is a, isn't a scenario where Marquette defends really well, um, and you know has a has a sort of a vintage uh, this season defensive home game. Um, but I think it's going to end up being a game in the 70s or the 80s as opposed to the 60s, um, and so. It's going to be a game where if Marcus Howard, Sam Hauser, Joey Hauser aren't shooting well, um, it's likely going to be a game Marquette is playing from behind, especially yeah. early. Um, now, what I'm not as concerned about is, with the exception of Phil Booth defending Marcus Howard, um, Villanova defensively in general. I'm not super concerned. Um, Sakar Annam should be able to exploit Colin Gillespie pretty Effectively. Yeah, I, you, I mean, we always say that he should be. Yeah. Um, but, um, I mean, I think that one of my the biggest one of the biggest places I'm looking is that, like, at some point it's going to like it's going to be Sadiq Bay having to play against one of the Housers, and yeah. I just I I think that's going to be our 
best matchup. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll agree. Um, it, it Honestly, to me, it depends on how much Villanova plays a lineup that's a lot smaller. Um, say, throwing uh, Cremo and, I mean, Quinterly, I guess. He doesn't play that much, but... But if they go with, like, Cremo instead of Samuels um, and how much they use Cosby Roundtree, because Cosby Roundtree is really their only pure post. Um, Samuels is more of a wing that... Samuels is kind of a Najee Marshall type. Yeah, he's kind of weird. He's, like, somewhere in the three to four... Athletic wing, but doesn't shoot very well um, and is more of a more of an athletic wing than he is a scoring wing um so Cosby Roundtree is really their only center um and they like to play Pascal at the five a significant amount Pascal now Ken Palm data can be a little flaky with this but Pascal is playing 44 percent at the four and 47 percent at the five according to Ken Palm yeah they they play they play small they will play Eric Pascal Sadiq Bey Sam Jermaine Samuels Booth Gillespie that that's 100% 100% not out of the question. In yeah. fact, that their, their their most common lineup over the last five games yeah, is Booth, Gillespie, Samuels, Bay, Pascal. Yeah. Like, that's why I think we're going to have to utilize that matchup where we're going to have Jermaine Samuels and Sadiq Bay covering the Housers. Like, so it doesn't look like they ever play that hypothetical lineup that I was talking about, which no. is good. <laughs> um, so um, it looks like either they will play... A shooting lineup with Cosby Roundtree, um, or a um, more of a uh, Cosby Roundtree at the five, or more of a uh, athletic lineup with Pascal at the five. Um, so like Samuels and Bay, if Pascal is playing the five, but um, you know more shooting um, at the when Pascal bumps down. Yes. Um, and Cosby Roundtree's at the five, which I I suppose is a bit obvious, but. Um, I guess um, Eric Paschal um, is a player that could cause Marquette a lot of problems. Yeah, I think... Um, Joey Hauser will have a big yeah. responsibility, hopefully. Um, this will be... I'm a lot more worried about Paschal than I am Booth, personally. Yeah, Booth's a good player. Um, Scar Annum should be able to defend Booth. Yes. I know I just talked about how Scar Annum struggled with... Um, Shmort Ponds. Phil Booth does not do the Thanks. crossover flip, like Shemori, reverse layups yeah, into Phil, traffic yeah, like Phil, like Shamori does. Phil Booth doesn't play playground ball like Shamori does. And yeah, Shamori's just infinitely better in the one on one. And we don't say playground ball in any sort of negative yeah, no, way because just, that was a beautiful thing to watch. No, Shamori Ponds is potentially the like I. I would pick Shamori Pons over everybody else in the Big East playing one-on-one basketball. Yes, against anybody. absolutely. His Just, his ISO ball top gear is yeah, number it's one. Absurd. Yeah. So like Phil Booth doesn't scare me in an ISO situation like Shamori Pons does, and I think that Marquette. Yeah, I mean we do have good individual defenders. We do have Sakar Adam. We do have um, Chartuni. We do have Brendan Bailey. We do have the good individuals, but it's the Marquette team defense that's very good. Yeah. Which is again, it's still weird to say this deep in the season. Still weird to say, but like we're no longer like the team defense can get dominated by the one uber freak ISO ball player. Yeah, Phil Booth will not exploit that like Shamori Pons did. Yeah, Phil, um, Phil, Phil Booth is great. He's a fantastic player, and if he makes me eat my words on Saturday, then so be it. But I would argue that there's no way he can play ISO ball at the level Shamori Pons can. 
Pascal um, has the potential to be a tougher um, matchup. Yeah, I because Pascal's way faster and more athletic than either of the Housers that'll be guarding him. If you have to throw Theo John on him, it's definitely a problem because Theo John can't stretch out like Pascal can to be on the three-point line. I think that he's going to be a much he, – he is a much bigger part of the offense come Saturday for Villanova because our system isn't built to handle players of his skill set. Um, I think he's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, yeah. It was just a, uh, a Woj bomb. Otto Porter is going to the Bulls. What? Yeah. Uh, for Portis and... Uh, what in the world? For Portis and Jabari. Good lord. What a... Yeah. What? Yeah. The, the vibe I was getting, I'm sorry, I was reading sort of the Twitter response, is that Portis is a player um, that... Uh, his contract will be up by the time the Bulls are in any way competitive. So it's kind of an interesting trade. Yeah, that's out. Um, that's okay. Well, moving back to the better... Actually, this is a great tweet that I just want to read retrospectively about Bobby Portis that I feel like you'll appreciate. Bobby Portis versus Nico Miritich is still an all-time NBA fight because you had Arkansas going up against Yugoslavia, the absolute perfect matchup for a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I like that tweet a lot. That was at Jake underscore Nazar on Twitter. Um, All right, moving Very on. funny. Very anyway, uh, yeah, uh, so I don't know. I don't expect to win. Do you expect to win on Saturday? No, um, and I, I think that Jay Wright's in a, a much better coach than Chris Mullen will ever be. Yeah, I mean, that's and, and, point and I think Jay Wright will look at the St. John's games where we got run out of the building, and he'll look at the Indiana game, or, like, he'll look at the games where we've been beaten and he'll go, I know exactly how to make my team do this. And I also think um, this was an experience, this was experienced last night, um, was St. John's had a psychological edge over Marquette. Yeah. Um, you could tell. I mean, Justin Simon's exaggerated dancing after and ones was, was quite a lot. Um, and, you know, they were getting, St. John's was getting together uh, after, on during before key possessions and sort of like, all communicating, talking together. Uh, Marquette was a little more uh, frazzled and less confident, for sure. And uh, if Villanova beats Creighton uh, in a game that tips in 15 minutes as we're recording this, um, I think you see sort of a 10-0 defending champion having a psychological edge over an 8-2. Yes. Um, not really sure uh, how good we are. Sort of uh, get hearing a lot of praise, but not totally used to the spotlight kind of Marquette team. Sure. That said, the crowd will be a huge play. Um, yeah. The crowd was not uh, super last night. No, um, there it was, was, it was weather, very slow. Yeah. Um, and it was you know not super full, um, and because of the bad start, not super loud. Um, loud at times for sure. Um, helped them with the comeback for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, the crowd will be undeniably fantastic from start to finish on Saturday, just by virtue of National Marquette Day. Um, so that is a factor i think for marquette because i know they do play well to the crowd i actually loved um was it brendan bailey yeah it was brendan bailey um when he had the the layup uh after the save that was like a perfect assist 
by the St. John's. I forget which St. John's player it was. It was a save right to him for a layup, though. Yeah. And Brennan Bailey down the floor was, like, pumping the crowd up. And I was like, okay, this is a team that responds really well to the crowd when the crowd is into it. So um, the crowd will be into it. Um, On Saturday. Legitimately anything positive the crowd will be into um, because it will be a full house for sure. Um, an amped house for sure, and a um, certainly a well-liquored house, um, I would imagine. It is Milwaukee, and it is Marquette. Yeah, and it's Marquette Day, um, which is a, 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 especially among the younger fans, is quite a uh, occasion. Um, so I, I guess I wouldn't say I expect to win. I expect it to be close, though. Yeah. I don't think Marquette's going to get beaten by, like, double digits at home all year. I mean, I just I think the way it. that, like, they played so badly yesterday... Yeah. And one one of their myriad mistakes goes the other way, and they win the game. So I yeah. don't think they're. I if think you, it'll be close. If you like super villain, like hung me over a tank of sharks by like rope upside down, you know, mm-hmm. and that's like you have to guess the score, or you have to you have to guess the point differential. Sure, I'd say Nova by four. Yeah, I mean, I'd say there's a chance that it plays out extremely similarly to how the St. John's game played out, and it's Marcus Howard has a chance. Um, down by an X amount of points on the last possession to make something happen, I would, and then maybe they like maybe they get, hit a shot yeah. to get to your to get to your four. Maybe they miss and Nova makes some free throws or something. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it'll be close game uh, either way. Um, I would say I have more confidence in Nova's experience um, and thus far unblemished nature in the Big East. Um, but, uh, we'll see. I mean, the crowd's going to be great. Um, and I think, again, I think it'll be a close game regardless. It'll be a great game. Um, if you are one of the unfortunate souls who's decided to pay like 200 bucks for a ticket to the game, which is what it looks like right now online, that's really unfortunate, but I think you'll get a good game. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm excited. I mean, it's a big spotlight for Marquette and it's a really good opportunity if they can pull it out to sort of erase some of the, uh, disappointing nature of, uh, Tuesday. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to it, um, and uh, yeah, uh, get excited. Um, it's National Marquette Day. It's the f- the greatest day of the basketball season, um, if you're a Marquette fan. And, until March Madness. Uh, until March Madness. Hey, there is March Madness this year. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's positive. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, last year, like, like not to harp too long on St. John's, but, like, last year, in prior years, Last night's loss would have been backbreaking and would have been like mm-hmm. that would have put us like right off the bubble because we would have not won the games we fought on this year. Like it's so nice to know that we can lose by one to St. John's at home and we're talking about oh well we're gonna be a four seed instead of a three. Yeah. Like that's absurd. Yes. Not absurd, but it's nice. Like that that's what really talked me out of the panic button. It's just the like Knowing that we've we we are that good and like I said it's just a boogeyman matchup so I think we bounce back really well against Nova like I said I don't think we win I think we still prove that like yes we belong in that conversation with Nova as one of the best two best teams in the Big East yeah like, it'll be a good game it'll be a great game and that's it that that's a game that a couple years ago yeah I know we did beat them at home it wasn't on National Marquette Day but I know that we didn't like that, that that's a game that we would have after a loss like last night we would have no shot at yeah. And we're going to have a shot in it, yep. and that's all that matters. Um, one thing I'll say, and just because I heard it this morning, it was definitely on the CBS uh, basketball podcast, college basketball podcast. Um, they talked about what Marquette's resume would look like if it had, um, it 
lost. It won every game except uh, St. John's and Villanova for the rest of the season. And like, what kind of resume that would look like? It's nuts. Which is which is like, like not a ridiculous hypothetical, no. um, especially if you consider that I don't really think any other team that I've seen play Marquette this far, and the only Big East team that Marquette hasn't played is Villanova. Um, I don't really think any other team is gonna give them a huge challenge. Um, Creighton, I can see Creighton might. Creighton, if they're hot shooting at yeah. the Forum. Um, but again, we saw how much has sure. to go wrong to lose at the Forum. Yeah. Um, and Seton Hall away is something I'd worry about. And also, I'd slightly, slightly, slightly worry about if Marquette beats Villanova uh, going to DePaul oh, three days later. Yeah. Um, but uh, it would be a really interesting... I personally would not be sure how to feel about Marquette going into the tournament um, if they proved completely unable to beat St. John's and Villanova, but handled literally everything else. That would probably be a team that would land in like the five, six range. I disagree with that. You think it'd be lower? No, I think we'd still be four to five. Okay. I just think that, I think Marquette's non-conference. That's three more losses is what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, I know, but like. So if they're a four now. If they're a four now. You lose to Villanova at home. Those aren't bad losses. No, no, they're not. They're not bad losses. And like, you lose to either of them in the in Big MSG. East. Well, so like, it's well, either in the Big East title game. Well, no, it's a. It what it projects is it projects Marquette to finish second. Hypothetically, either draw St. John's in the in the semis, okay, or Nova in, in the, the final, final and lose to one of them. If they draw like Creighton or something, they win and then yeah. lose to Nova in the final. Okay, so, so yeah, like it's I. I I, I think we fall squarely in the four to five at that point. Okay. I just like I think that with the non conference resume they'd have and only having technically five conference losses. That is a thing. They have like, a lot of nice wins this year on their resume. Yeah. It's nuts that the worst loss they have is Indiana away. I'd argue that that St. John's at home is not as bad as that Indiana away right now. Just because it was a blowout. It's a blowout. That Indiana team is bad. I have thoughts on that Indiana team. I won't get super deep into them. I think that they are a team that if they can win enough of their games going forward, now they have a really tough finishing schedule and obviously just went on a seven-game losing streak and just have an overtime win at Michigan State. To And Michigan State, yeah. coming off of a loss to the DePaul of the Big Ten, uh, Illinois. I-L-L, <laughs> I-N-I, I-L-L. Um, Sorry, I grew up an Illini fan. I'm so, yeah. It was it was big. It, that, that's big. When you grew up, they were good. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, when when you were growing up, they were really good. Yeah, but um, uh, well, so Illinois to to jump into that really quick. Illinois is kind of on the path that Marquette is, just a couple years behind. So like Illinois made the tournament and was like my my big thing at the time is that before I was totally devoted to Marquette basketball. That my freshman year, Illinois lost to Miami. In the round of 32, mm-hmm. Marquette beat Miami in the Sweet 16. Like, if Illinois would have beat Miami, it would have been Marquette versus Illinois, and I would have been torn at the time. At the time. And I still would have cheered for Marquette, but at the time, I was a freshman and not as obsessed with the basketball team as I am now. Yeah. So, th- that was the last time Illinois made the tournament. It was that, that, that tournament year. Um, since then, they've been really miserable. But this is finally like their their season right now. They they they're the best quote unquote eight win team in the country. 
Um, they play, <laughs> I mean, like, you look at their their schedules. Uh, like, I like this sneaky Illinois. Well, so, like, they, like, they lost to Georgetown. Are they in the top 100 at Ken Palm? No, right? No. Uh, 68. Are they really? Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. So I'll give they, you the best eight-win team if they're 68. Well, they, they lost to Georgetown by eight at home. Never good, but they lost by six to Gonzaga and Maui. Lost by, you know, a little bit more. 16 to Iowa State and Maui. Lost to Xavier by nine in Maui. Like, both not great. Or, the last one, not great. I did some I did some research that you're not going to like once you're done with this well, yeah. breakdown. Uh, lost to Notre Dame away, Nebraska away, Ohio State on a neutral court. They played at the United Center in that weird little end of November, start of December, Big Ten games, and then, you know, whatever. Lost to Missouri on a neutral court. Not good, but, like, they've played all these competitive games, though. Like, the worst one they have is Florida, the loss of Florida Atlantic at home. Okay, are you ready are you ready for my pushback against Illinois being the best eight-win team in the country? Who has eight wins? Penn State, and they're 64. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Okay, fair. Fair. Penn State, same conference. Yeah. Although, all right, that game has to have happened already, right? No. No. They play twice at the end of the season. Yeah. All right. We promise, we promise you on the podcast that we will keep you updated on Illinois-Penn State's two matchups on February 23rd and March 10th. So, anyway, like, <laughs> that I was standing, Indiana's still 4-7 and seven in the Big Ten. Like, they're, in my opinion, they're still on the outside looking in because their, their best non-con was us. You know, they beat us at home by in, in a boat race. They lost to Duke away by a lot. Uh, they beat Louisville by one at home. I'll give them that. That that's probably their best, the best non-conference. Yeah. Is still us though. I think it's still us just because they boat raced us. But I don't know. Uh, Butler on a neutral court by three isn't as impressive as it used to be. Um, and then yeah, and then in conference they have the overtime win at Michigan. But you know. I I just like their talent and I like Archie. I, I, if they That's s- a hot take amongst Indiana fans right now. If, it's well, not liking Archie. Indiana fans are just so angry about them wasting the Romeo year, which I get. Um, yeah. But I think if they sneak in as like an 11 and they, I don't know, if they go to Dayton, if they don't go to Dayton, if they get one of the, like, the last eight at-large bids, I think they're a dangerous tournament team. Just I, because I think that their top gear, as they showed against Marquette, um, their top gear is really good. Their top gear is like top 20. Yeah, but just, they just haven't found the top gear a lot, yeah. and there's been a lot of consternation and a lot of pressure, and it kind of trended. But when they beat Michigan State without Juwan Morgan, essentially, that was like really. I watched a lot of that game, and I was like, this team can really play. Granted, uh, Michigan State was without Langford at that point. Well, yeah, or, I mean they've no, been without it, Langford. I'm right. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah, I'm yeah, right. I'm not they've been that's... without Langford. Yeah, that doesn't um, excuse losing it. Not not Romeo, offense. but Joshua. Right, that's yeah. correct. The other um, Langford. So I think I mean I think Indiana needs to go 500 to make the tournament in the Big Ten. It'd be tough. Um, then it wouldn't be as bad of a loss. But I think I still think that's our worst loss. It's just right now that Indiana team's not good. I think it would be our worst loss because of currently how it, it's our worst because loss. of how it was, not because of it actually. Like looking horrible. I don't think we have any really bad losses. The only reason that that's a bad loss is just because it was a blowout. Yeah. Um. I don't know. St. John's. Uh, St. John's away wasn't good either. No. But anyway, um, that was our fantastic little random college basketball tangent at the end of the broadcast. We're professionals. Yeah. We we yeah we we think we're professionals. 
Um, I pretend like I am yeah. all the time. Yeah, there you go. Uh, all right, so we're going to wrap that up. Um, that uh, was a hell of a podcast we just put together there. <laughs> Um, and yeah, uh, get excited for National Marquette Day. Um, we sit, we sit up in the, uh, recent grad section. Come say hi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Come say hi. Uh. I'm the tall, awkward, lanky kid. Yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm <laughs> unremarkable looking, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I will, uh, we will talk to you guys, uh, I don't know, maybe Sunday? It depends on, it depends on our mood. If we get crushed, I don't think we want to talk to you on Sunday, but we'll see. Uh, we'll talk to you I mean, sometime in the next the, week. Uh, the post-game celebration or lack thereof may yeah. have some play in that, too. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, until then, um, enjoy National Marquette Day, folks.